This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. And this is the week of April 5. Uh, and we have a special guest with us. We have Amy Ray, who uh, her game aired on Wednesday, April 7th. Uh, she's a market researcher from Lawrenceville, New Jersey. And, uh, and she's on with us today to talk about this week's episodes. She's going to bring us a deep dive and quiz as well. And we're just so excited to chat with her. So hi, Amy. Hi, Emily. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. We're so glad to have you. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what your experience was like getting onto Jeopardy? I, I think I remember it was disrupted by the pandemic. Yes, as I'm sure a lot of people have been. But I, yeah, my, my audition was originally in like June of 2019. And I didn't get the call till March of 2020. And, you know, booked my flight, was ready to go tape in April. And obviously that did not happen. <laughs> so mm-hmm. for me, my episode actually aired a year after I was supposed to tape almost almost to the week. Um, wow. So it was a little crazy. You know, COVID was crazy. I, You know, some of the things I understood, uh, like having to get tested, but, you know, you had to bring your own snacks and you had to do your own makeup. They can't touch you. They like hand you the pup poof that you carry around with you the whole time in a little I bag. Thought, I thought the makeup sort of has looked a little bit more um, varied than DIY. usual. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying wow, it necessarily Emily. looks DIY, but I wow. am saying the TV makeup artists have like a consistent aesthetic that they. Yeah. sort of tend to go for like everyone when everyone's makeup is being done by the same two people who work together all day like you get this kind of consistent across the board look um people have different feelings about that uh i have been in a number of conversations about uh the fondness of the tv makeup artists for bronzer um and it just it it has it has appeared to me that there's been a more varied aesthetic. Uh, well, <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, they, they definitely like, so we, we literally, they put makeup on a, on a, like a little poof and you carry it with you in this plastic bag and they do, the makeup artist does come out and say, okay, you know, do it. Okay. Do your forehead. Okay. Do your nose. You know, like she guides yeah. you, but they mm-hmm. can't touch you. And then I was also told I couldn't wear a dress because the mic person couldn't get close to you to mic you. And I'm like a, like I wear dresses when I'm trying to look professional. So mm. I had to, that, that threw my whole wardrobe decision in, in disarray, but Ooh, it all yeah. wow. <laughs> that's wild. Um, well, I'm glad that you glad that you made it on eventually. And uh, it's, it's just been really good to have Jeopardy here for us in the pandemic. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Should we get into talking about the games? Let's, do it yeah um so monday april 5 this is the first game with aaron Rodgers as guest host i thought he uh i thought he did a great job this week it seemed like he started out like a little flat maybe like it was a lot to handle at once and it seemed like he was like just kind of trying to keep everything straight for the first little bit i will say it's funny when i've heard a lot of people say that this week and it's funny because they're not that far apart right (laughs) yeah 
he's he's mm-hmm. taping them, you know, an a- within an hour of each other. Right. Um, but I have heard definitely heard that feedback. I will I will say this: we were we weren't told right away, right? So you get there, and it's only about like two hours in. They finally tell you who your guest host is going to be, and we we're all kind of you know waiting with bated breath. Personally, I was super excited. I'm a huge football fan. That's who I wanted it to be. I wanted it to <laughs> nice. be Aaron Rodgers. Um, but the, they were very, very effusive about how unbelievably prepared he was coming into mm. their, their rehearsal yeah. and how he walked into the room and like quoted things from episodes that Alex said, you know, four years ago and was just really, really ready to go. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I I just I I have really enjoyed him. I did like that. I did think like the like the first day or so, like there were just some times where like he it just felt like like he was saying some things without affect. And I was like, I think he's I think he's a little overwhelmed, you know, Um, but that's that's not surprising to hear. And like, I don't know, I thought I thought he did a great job. Mm hmm. So on Monday, we had the contestants Joe Beth Thomas, a database architect from Carrollton, Georgia. Brandon Deutsch, a student from Long Beach, California, and Scott Schufelt, a writer originally from Tavistock, Ontario, Canada, whose two-day cash winnings total $46,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, State the State, Parts of the Body, Pop Culture Paris, Fortune Favors the Bald, But, in quotation marks, and First Coffee. But First Coffee is like a... It's a slogan that I have it on a workout shirt. I'm not proud. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're getting a little, a little pop culture-y here. Um, Does anyone think it's funny that they've been doing a lot of categories like pop culture poetry where it's just pop culture? Like, why is it? Pur- How would it be any different if that category was just pop culture? Right. I'll tell you exactly why it's poetry. Because one of the first episodes of this podcast, I made a comment that I had heard somewhere that they had retired the potpourri category title. And then I was immediately shown that that was not true because they keep putting potpourri in category titles they're over doing and over and over again. They're just to annoy you specifically. And I think they're just needling me. You as an individual. Yeah. Yeah. Me on purpose. <laughs> I'm but, like, I don't understand, person. like, what's the difference if you had science versus science pori? They're both... Something. Right. No, pori you're absolutely it. right. And sometimes they have a category that's called, like, history. Yeah, or, or, or categories that are, like, facts. It's like, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, it's all trivia. You're just saying, like, this is some more trivia. Like, yeah. I feel like the alternative to to the facts category would be like opinions. <laughs> get like this is the best color. Things uh, Doctor Oz says. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad you brought that up because if you hadn't, I would have. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. You were were you able to be like in the audience for this? Yes. I think they've had a couple of different strategies about how they were managing that. We were the only audience, right, was the, mm-hmm. <laughs> the other contestants. Yeah. So, yes, we were in the audience. Jimmy was with us the whole day. He was our, you know, he ran our rehearsal, Jimmy from the Clue Crew. And yeah. then he um, he kind of was our guide through the day. So kind of told us stories and hung out with us in the audience. Cool. Nice. He was, uh, I think he was our uh, rehearsal, like, Alex stand-in, yes. our rehearsal mm-hmm. host. When, yeah. yeah. 
I thought he was he was great. Yeah. I also thought it was super charming. We don't it, as a practice we don't comment on people's physical appearance on the podcast. Um, but I thought it was very charming that Scott Schufelt, who is bald, chose Fortune yes. Favors the Bald as his starting point. That was great. Yes. That was good. great. He was funny. Well, we'll you know talk about how funny he is. He's a funny guy. <laughs> He's a very funny guy. Yeah. <laughs> In the butt category at the thousand dollar level, uh, we had a triple stumper. <laughs> it's an early type of trombone. Nobody rang in to even take a guess. That's a sack butt. Aaron Rodgers has never heard of it. Now, I've heard of it, but that's because I have a advanced degrees in music. Every chance I could get to try and recruit middle school boys to play instruments was like, guess what? If you play this instrument, you can call it either a trombone or a sack butt. And I tell you, it works like a charm. I would get it at, at least a handful every year, if not more interested, just because of the name. Mm-hmm. I feel like trombone also is like an objectively good instrument, but... It is an objectively good instrument. You look pretty yeah. cool when you're playing a trombone. Yeah. <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> Daily Double number one is in the Fortune Favors the Bald category. It is pick number two. Uh, Brandon got the first clue, so he uncovers it. Uh, he's the only one with money. He has 800, and he wagers 1,000. And the clue is, it's said Stalin cleaned his pipe by tapping it on the bald head of this man. But by 1958, he was running Russia, so it worked out. And he gets that correct with who is Khrushchev? Yeah, I was going to say, by this point, we knew Brandon was, was going to be pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, it was endearing when um, Aaron Rodgers did his little Larry David impression. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the so that's pretty pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was good. <laughs> All right. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Scott is at thirty six hundred. Brandon is in the lead at seven thousand, and Joe Beth is at four thousand. And the double Jeopardy categories are history, potpourri, two Paris in one episode. Uh, Drops in the ocean, 11 letter words, sculpture materials, baseball managers, and Hemingway, uh, read by Ken Burns. Mm. Now, Emily, I'm sure you were very excited about the Hemingway category. Uh, No, I was not. I mean, you know, whatever. It's fine. Hemingway is a culturally significant author that people should know things about. We did have have a uh, technical issue with one of them. They were all video- um, Ooh. clips right so mm-hmm. because they were all clips from the documentary and there was one uh where the clip was playing and as you know you you can't ring in on jeopardy until until the question's read until it's done and for whatever reason the buzzers activated in the middle of the video and scott rang in and gave the correct response like eric Ooh. called on him you know, and gave the correct response and they had to kind of they had to replace that clue Oh, wow. They had to replace the whole clue. That's... Yeah. Oof. And I was very happy that then Scott got it right, because I feel like I would have been pretty annoyed if I'd got it right. Oh, and then it was yeah. Yep. Oof. Yeah, I'd have, been, I'd have been upset. That's that's funny. Do you recall what the um, what the correct re- response was for the, for, the one that, for the one that ended up getting tossed? I don't. 
Okay. That's, I know I, that there were, yeah, no, I, I remember it had a clip of John McCain talking about Hemingway, which was interesting. Because hmm. um, it must have been from, you know, from the documentary, but I, I can't remember what the, what the answer was. I thought it was on Also Rises, but then that was the answer to one, so that I must be. Yeah, um, that completely comports with my uh, with my experience of Jeopardy, which is that I could not remember what happened until I saw my episode. So, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I had that same thought. <laughs> well, actually, I'm probably better at remembering other people's episodes than my own. Yeah, you know? that's fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, because you were in the audience for theirs, yes, and like exactly. in your in yours, it's just like you're zoned in. It's a mm-hmm. Yeah, the first pick of this round in the history pre category got a lot of traction on social media. It's at the sixteen hundred dollar level. Mm-hmm. Oh, in I'm remembering this now. <laughs> yeah, Congress authorized payments oh. of four point four million dollars to each of these people, ten thousand dollars for each day of their captivity. And this is uh, a lot of people were saying things like, "All three of these are." Like, correct responses if the question was just, who do you think the U.S. government owes money to? Uh, <laughs> no, it was, it was a sad commentary, right? And then the answer ends up being some a group of people that weren't even the victims of the United States. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, Joe Beth guessed who are slaves. Scott guessed who are Guantanamo Bay prisoners. And Brandon guessed who are Japanese internment camp survivors. All of which, like, yeah. I think we do actually owe all of those people reparations. There are no longer any living former slaves, but right. yeah. Uh, but even so, y- yeah. Uh, yeah. The answer they were looking for was uh, the Iran hostages. Mm-hmm. So if you remember the 444 days, you know, mm-hmm. then then that would be the clue there. But like, if, if you didn't pick up on that hit, then yeah, I think all of those are perfectly acceptable guesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeesh. Yeah. Daily Double 2 comes up in that same history potpourri category at the $2,000 level as the fourth pick. Brandon finds it and wagers 4,500 of his 7,400. Scott's at 2,000 at this point and Joe Beth is at 2,400. And Brandon gets the clue. What is usually called the Ancien Regime came to an end in this year. And he gets this one correct with what is 1789. It's a French Revolution uh-huh. uh, clue reference. I'm glad you got this, Daily Double. It's the first time in a long time that you've had the French pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Daily Double number three is the last pick of the round. It's in the Hemingway category uh, at the $1,600 level. Scott finds it. Uh, it's really kind of too late at this point. Scott's at 4800 Joe Beth is at 8400 But Brandon is up at $22,300. Uh, so Scott has no chance of getting himself into contention anyway. But he wages 4500 because why not? He can compete for second place that way. And the clue is, an anecdote in the 1936 Esquire piece was the basis for this 1952 bestseller that brought Hemingway new acclaim. And it shows what I thought was a dead giveaway yes. uh, video of a marlin <laughs> in mm-hmm. the ocean and a picture of a dude on a boat. And he gets it right with what is the old man in the sea. I To me, that's like, I don't know, that's a $400 clue. No, that, I honestly, I almost thought it was too obvious that it must be something else. Like, I, yeah. I was yeah. like, how can it be Old Man on the Sea? Because they just showed a guy fishing. Like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the what's the misdirect here? Yeah, but it was correct, so he, he moves up. Yep. 
So at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Brandon has a lock game with 22,300. Scott and Jobeth have acquitted themselves very well. Scott's at 9,300. Jobeth is at 8,400. Those are those are normally fine scores, you know. People yeah. win from people win from those positions. Not most of the time, but you know, sometimes. And they have the final Jeopardy category, daytime TV personalities. And the clue, accepting a lifetime achievement Emmy, he said, just take 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. And uh, I believe that they had 10 seconds of like, dead air on television for this, although I could be remembering They were supposed to, but they didn't give it a full 10 seconds. Okay. Uh, uh, like they were going to do 10 seconds on Jeopardy? No. Oh, no, I'm sorry. No, no. I'm saying when he when he gave this speech, when they, he gave the speech, they were. Yeah. Oh, OK, gotcha. He wanted them to give 10 seconds, but they wouldn't. Like they wouldn't oh, uh, that's that is that's classic. Mm-hmm. Um, All about the money. Yeah. Joe Beth did not come up with a response. Uh, she just has who is question mark. Um, and she wagers. 901. So she's trying to get above Scott so that if he has a zero wager or misses, uh, she gets up above him. Scott has wagered zero. And he responds, who wanted to kick that field goal, which I'm going to need somebody to explain to me. Kyle, you're laughing like you get it. Wait, you need someone to explain it to you now or, or you I, did? I, but I do. I, no, I, I still actually need somebody to explain so, it to me. So the Green Bay Packers played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the NFC championship. Whoever wins that goes to the Super Bowl. And it was a battle of quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, two of really the two best quarterbacks in the NFL, probably. And was yeah. you know, went back and forth, but Tampa Bay was in the lead, but only by um, you know, they were certainly catchable. It was getting towards the end of the game. Green Bay was driving. Uh, they were close to the Tampa Bay end zone, but did not get a first down uh, on third down. And I, I don't know how much I need to explain, Emily, if you know how football works. But no, this is, I, I got but, it. The, I, do, I understand the basic rules. I do not okay. know. So, this, so in this, this case, right, yeah. a lot of times you kick a field goal, but but they if they they got us, they could catch up, right? They could tie the game mm-hmm. with, with yeah. a, a, a touchdown. So they could go for it and get a touchdown, and they did not. They kicked a field goal. Mm-hmm. They lost the game. A lot of people really questioned that call. After got it. Okay. Yeah, that is a moment in sports history that I didn't have in my in my lexicon. So thank you, <laughs> I appreciate it, Amy. I, I, I'm I'm uh, catching up on sports. It's my it's my trivia weakness. Yeah. So Scott has zero, so no change, and and a a great reference that I know people enjoyed, and now I can as well. Thank you. Uh, and Brandon has it correct with who is Mister Rogers? This is Fred Rogers. Um, mm-hmm. Fans of the podcast will remember that I'm a big fan of Mr. Rogers and did a sermon series about him a couple of years back. Brandon has wagered 924, which must be a personally significant number, I assume, which takes him up to 23,224. We knew he'd win because he has a lot game. Yeah, we we uh, we really reacted pretty strongly in the studio when Scott put up that answer and <laughs> like, what's Aaron going to say? What's he going to do? Right. And he handled it well. Oh, I mean, he, so, so Jeopardy actually, are, you know, they released a little bit of a video after the tape stopped rolling, right? They released a little bit of him kind of saying to Scott, you know, that was hysterical or, you know, you're the best or whatever. But he actually, after that moment, ended up telling the entire, you know, studio 
the entire the actual story from his perspective playing the game wow. which was hmm. so cool as a football fan <laughs> to I be yeah oh man yeah it was, that was probably one of the one of my best you know moments of the day that was really cool oh that's so that's so cool yeah so on tuesday we have the contestants chris hammer an attorney from the bronx new york Aaron Merrill, a middle school social studies teacher from Woodbridge, Virginia, and Brandon Deutsch, a student from Long Beach, California, who just won $23,224. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, The World in 1900, A Swampy Situation, Biblical First Names the Same, Knives Out, A Student of Television, and From the French. Your favorite. Yes, but I we didn't have to really give... <laughs> French words. We we were, we were able to give English words that came from the French. Mm-hmm, that's right. And I and I knew the six hundred dollar level because I have watched as much Great British Bake Off as I can. <laughs> that is French for melting gives us the word for fondue and this sugary paste used for icing and cake decor that is fondant. Although mm-hmm. Brandon pronounced it like fondant. Mm-hmm. I've heard it fondant. As have well. you? I have. Maybe because I listen to the British and they make a very like, they try very hard not to be French in a lot of their ways. So maybe they pr- purposely pronounce it differently. Yeah. Well, I feel- in French, you wouldn't say fondant. You, would, you wouldn't, right? Fondant. You would say fondant. Yeah, you yeah. leave a bunch of the letters out because it's French. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't make sense. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I feel, like, I feel like Brits do sort of ostentatiously, like, Brit- Britishify foreign words. Normally um, we say anglicize, but okay. Anglicize. Yes, thank you. I have a graduate degree and <laughs> goodness gracious. Uh, yeah, thanks. Anglicize. That's the word I'm looking for. Well, we had um, <laughs> the only football I know about was at the $800 level of a student of television. No, I know about a little more football now. Um, but the first football I knew about was at the $800 level of a student of television. Uh, the clue there was high school quarterback Jason Street's life changed forever after he was injured in the very first episode of this show in 2006. Uh, that is Friday Night Lights. I loved Friday Night Lights. That was a good, wholesome show. Well, actually, people killed people I don't know. pregnancies and abortions <laughs> and i don't know i liked I, I, all right i liked the show but now that i think about it it was not wholesome it just had that very wholesome sounding theme song um <laughs> uh but yeah no when i was when i was trying to actually learn stuff about football like i had to like learn the positions by being like oh the one like tim riggins <laughs> the one like mm-hmm. smash williams um Daily Double number one comes up in the world in 1900 as the third pick. So we're getting them early in the round. Uh, it's at the $1,000 level and Brandon finds it. And he makes it a true Daily Double with 1400 Aaron has not gotten on the board at this point and Chris is at negative 800 And he gets the clue. August 14 saw 19,000 international troops capture Beijing to quell the uprising of this secret society of fighters. Fighters is in quotation marks. That's a clue here. And he gets it correct with the boxers. I know that the boxer rebellion is a thing that happened in 1900. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was one where I couldn't decide whether I would have gotten it right or not. (laughs) I was like, maybe, maybe I would have thought of that. Maybe, Maybe not. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I, I know next. Literally, that is as much as I know about it. 
Yeah. Maybe I will not be doing a deep dive on that, just so you know. All right. Dang it. I was hoping. I was like, oh, that'd be perfect. All right. But but now we know. Now we know. Okay. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, um, Brandon's in the solid lead with 8,200. Aaron has 4,600. Chris is at negative 200. It hasn't been his round. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Happy Trails, Literary Settings, Z is for Badjectives, that's adjectives having to do with bad um biochemistry and before and bafta uh (laughs) this is a before and after category where the second part of each response will be a winner of the british academy award for best film i loved this category i loved it i loved it so much i love before and after anyway and to have a movie before and after is like my dream (laughs) it was very clever yeah all of the clues in that category were good All of them were great. At the $1,200 level, alphanumeric meat sauce preferred by Randall McMurphy, Nurse Ratched, and all the inmates. That is A1 flew over the cuckoo's nest. (laughs) 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 They were so good. I loved this category. We get Daily Double number two in that category. Uh, It ends up being pick number 16. They kind of got away from it and then came back to it. Uh, It's at the $2,000 level. Erin finds it. Uh, At this point, she's at $7,000. Brandon is already up to 16,200 and Chris is back at 2,200 and she wagers 4,000 gets the clue zombies from an AMC drama stand on desks and moan. Oh, captain, my captain to Robin Williams. Uh, she gets that correct with the walking dead poet society. Can I, can I tell you, this is one of my favorite moments watching. So that clue came up, Aaron started reading it and the text disappeared from the screen. like maybe he's halfway through reading it and so she has to stand there with the daily double and remember it and and they don't they didn't stop they let they kept they let it roll and and man she pulled it out we were all like super impressed that she had the poise to kind of remember that and come up with kind of a long response that was that was i mean i wonder they might have given her another clue if if it hadn't if she hadn't gotten it but maybe um, but yeah no that's it that's a really good point because, like, I, I know that when I, every every game I played, like, I basically ignored Alex's voice, except for mm-hmm. trying to time when he stopped talking. Like, because I just read the clue and ignore what he's saying, and then try to time my buzzer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like, and on even- a daily double, especially because you have the time to sort of mm-hmm. review the text, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and you take that extra second to make sure, even if you know it, and yeah. and, and she couldn't do that now. It's my, uh, Dead Poets Society is my all-time favorite movie, so I feel like I probably would have been able to do it, but, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I was still really, really impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Jeopardy round had not been Chris's round, but I'm noticing now that Chris got four of the six $2,000 clues. Yeah. It's impressive. Yeah, big comeback. We, we say it a lot, like everyone who gets on the stage knows their stuff. They, it takes a lot to just to get in on the show, you know? Mm-hmm. Like everyone up there knows their stuff. And yep. I think that I think that especially shows that Chris is very clearly knowledgeable. His his struggles early on are not indicative of like a lack of knowledge or anything like that. Right. Daily Double number three comes up in the Happy Trails category as the 22nd pick at the $800 level. And Chris finds this one. At this point, he's at 4,200 to Brandon's 17,400 and Aaron's 11,800. He wagers just 2,000. Might get him in contention. I guess he does go in to 
final Jeopardy in contention. So, you know, mm-hmm. arguably, arguably it worked to get him in contention. He gets the clue, the heritage trail named for this man who's had a few places honor him includes Berkeley Springs, West Virginia, which he surveyed. Chris tries, who is Daniel Boone? That's incorrect. It's George Washington. And I forgot that he'd missed this one. I said it worked to get him in contention. Um, <laughs> so I guess what I meant is uh, that it works to uh, to limit his loss um, mm-hmm. on this miss so that he do- he's able to get back in contention. Um, yeah. Which maybe he wouldn't have been able to do if he dropped to zero. I thought that was a really tough clue for eight hundred dollars. Is there is there just something I'm unaware of with George I mean, Washington and Berkeley Springs? I think it's Not- more that he's a famous surveyor, and I think the whole "who's had a few places honor him" is was supposed yeah. to get you there. But yeah. um, I agree with you. I I was looking for something. almost less obvious but i guess because it was the 800 i don't know yeah same i was trying to think of a famous name associated with west virginia Mm. um i was trying to figure out if this might have something to do with like the mason dixon line um yeah i did too i went through a lot of names and i was like i don't know i don't know and also i don't know i i would never associate george washington with west virginia because West Virginia wasn't West Virginia. <laughs> That's true. right. That's true. Like to me, I, it's obviously I'm not quibbling with the clue as to like, well, it shouldn't have been that way. It, it just seemed really tough to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Tough break for him. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Brandon is in the lead at eighteen thousand six hundred, but it is not a runaway. Aaron is at twelve thousand two hundred, and Chris is at seventy eight hundred. So he's he's done well for himself at the end of the round. Uh, and they get the Final Jeopardy category 20th century American history. And the clue, a biography of him, quote, in a sweltering, dimly lit cabin, its window shades closed. His first presidential decisions were made. Chris wagered 5,200, wrote, who is T. Roosevelt? And then crossed it off and wrote L. Johnson. And that is correct. Referring to, of course, Lyndon Baines Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he moves up to 13,000. Aaron stuck with Theodore Roosevelt, wagered 6401, but that is incorrect. So she dropped to 5799. And Brandon got it doubly correct with who is LB Johnson LBJ. <laughs> and he wagered a cover bet of 5801. So he is a, a two day champion at this point. Yeah, I, I, that was a controversial one. Like, I've seen a lot of people feel like it was super tricky. Because the cabin, people just did not mm-hmm. think airplane cabin. Even in the audience, I I got there. It just, but it did take me. Like I did go to cabin, like an actual wood cabin, and then and then yeah. thought assassinations and where were where were the successors, you know, and and got there. But that that would, could be that was a tough one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No. I had the I had the same like kind of thought process. I was like, okay, it's Roosevelt, Truman, Johnson. You know, to think of vice presidents who had to take over suddenly just kind of like how do you how do you figure out which one that is i don't know mm-hmm. that i would have landed on johnson definitively as soon honest. as i thought of johnson and and then i pictured him signing in the airplane then i was like, oh kevin oh shades mm-hmm. oh okay mm-hmm. but like i i had to get there first and picture that photograph yeah. and then, mm-hmm. and then it clicked yeah. yeah but i i I, that, I think that was clearly intentional to be yes. tricky that way mm-hmm. yeah. agreed uh so on wednesday 
we have the contestants. Sebastian Martinez Valdivia, a public radio reporter from Columbia, Missouri. Amy Ray uh, with us today, a market researcher from Lawrenceville, New Jersey, and Brandon Deutsch, a student from Long Beach, California, whose two-day cash winnings total $47,625. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, the Louisiana Purchase, Literary Animals, Business, Hispanic Americans, Broadway Bound, and Chess Terms. How did you feel seeing the categories come up? Was, was, did you feel like so these I, were... I felt pretty good. And, you know, I had a couple... Of course, your friends and family are like, when you don't win, they're like, oh, you had really hard questions. <laughs> it was really hard. <laughs> and I was like, actually, guys, I think of the, of the episodes I saw, this was probably like the best for me category-wise. I, I probably knew more on my day than the other days. I just, as I'm sure you've heard many, many people say, that, that buzzer was killer mm-hmm. those I was you know not to go with you know the sun was in my eyes but I was playing two guys for like half my age <laughs> and they were very very fast and very very smart and I made some uh, yeah well I'm sure we'll talk about my fun dumb mistakes that I made as well but I felt good about the categories um especially and this will haunt me forever I told everyone who would listen when I was going on Jeopardy that my dream category would be Broadway musicals Mm-hmm. I am like a passionate uh, musical theater fan. So, mm-hmm. so you know, again, that that will haunt me forever. <laughs> but it did not work out so well for me. Yeah, I, yeah. I had that impression because I, I noticed that I think you kept going back mm-hmm. to the Broadway category at pretty much every opportunity that you had. Yes. One of my anecdotes, which, you know, wasn't used, was that I was for a year a reviewer for Broadway.com. Wow. <laughs> so, like, I'm glad it wasn't used because that would be even more embarrassing. But, uh, yes. And, yeah. and yeah, I'm sure we'll talk talk about that clue when it comes. But um, one fun fact I want to mention that I saw someone on the Internet point out, and I thought it was pretty funny, is that Sebastian and I may have the record for the difference in length of our names as contestants. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's, you could fit like five of my names in his name. That's right. That's a, that's a good ratio. Yeah. No, he he has a he has a a name for radio. You know, which is you like, remember that name if you're yes. listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so since we're talking about that category, and you, like we might as well talk about it. Uh, the first daily double is in Broadway Bound. It is the four hundred dollar clue, and Amy uncovered it at this point. I had $1,200, and I made it a true daily double. <laughs> That's right. She had $1,200, made it a true daily double. Uh, she was tied with Sebastian, who was also at $1,200, and Brandon was at negative 400 She got the clue. Songs in this show include Der Guten Tag Hopklop and Where Did We Do- Go Right? Tell us about this, Amy. So, uh, again, you know, very excited to get a daily double uh, in my favorite category. They actually paused the game before I made my wager because there was like a they were checking on something. Um, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so we all had to turn around and wait for that, uh, which my yep. dad says threw off my concentration. So we'll go with that. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the day, I, it came up, I just, I couldn't place those songs and I knew my, I guessed cabaret and I knew that was wrong, uh, because cabaret is one of my very favorite, uh, musicals and I know all the songs, right. but you have to guess something and there was German. So I just yeah. went with that. Um, the mm-hmm. worst 
part, well, it's all bad, but the worst part is I, I, um, I saw the producers on Broadway the year it came out with Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick. I just, you know, I, have been saying they couldn't have, you know, it was the, the $400 clue. They couldn't have given me springtime for Hitler. Like that would have definitely gone <laughs> yeah. there. Right. They had to go deep cuts and um, mm-hmm. neither of those songs popped up in my head. Yeah. I, I feel like cabaret is the neg bait here. I mean, you know, I, I, uh, I probably don't know cabaret as well as you do. And I, I think I would have known that those weren't cabaret songs, but there's just not a lot to go on here to get to the producers. Yeah. I mean, if I, you know, you know had, if I was in pub trivia or something, I had time with it and I could spend some time with where did we go? Right. I probably would have gotten it from that eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, in the moment it's, you know, producers is, great it's just not one of my favorites i don't you know i know a handful of songs and, and those were not two of them <laughs> yeah mm, sorry yeah that's rough that it was early it was only 1200 i got yeah. to say make it a true daily double so that was all yeah me. definitely yeah, awesome. i bet they were checking on um brandon's response of hysterectomy you are correct yeah they, they were in fact checking on that and um decided it was too specific because not it didn't apply a, across the board and, yeah so it, it you know they didn't change their scoring mm-hmm. yeah nice. when you said that they had you turn around so they could check something like oh would there have been to check time uh, to investigate yeah sebastian gave me a hard time he's his family is originally from peru he still has family there and he he was teasing me that i got to say the two latino names in the in the hispanic americans <laughs> category and i was nice. just like i hope i didn't butcher them i hope it's okay mm-hmm. I thought you did fine. And oh, and after at the well, you'll talk about we ended with Brandon at eighteen hundred, me at sixteen hundred, and Sebastian at forty four hundred. And right when we went to the break, Brandon said, "Oh, I shouldn't have guessed on that last clue, which he got wrong." Uh, and I thanked him for doing it because it made our scores closer together and made me feel better about myself. <laughs> <laughs> That is a good feeling. Yeah. No, I, when, you, when you're behind and one of, one of the people ahead of you get something wrong, you're like, thank you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Amy just gave us the scores. And going into the Double Jeopardy round, we have the categories, What a Bunch of Characters, Discoveries in Science, Five Letter Capitals, Composers, Uniformity, and Starts and Ends with L. So again, I have to say, I was... I was I like wordplay ones, so I like the L one, and I went to that a lot. The thing I studied more than anything for Jeopardy was memorizing all of my world capitals. Mm-hmm. Super excited about a capitals category and did not was not able to get in on the buzzer on any of them. <laughs> I seem to remember seeing you get very frustrated with the buzzer during that that category. I noticed it. I was like, oh, I know that feeling. I know that look. <laughs> yep. I've had that feeling before. Yeah. Amy, you got Daily Double Redemption really early in this round uh, at the second pick at the $800 level of starts and ends with L. And uh, at that point, you had 2000 and wagered $1,500. Um, Brandon's at 1800 Sebastian's at $4,400, uh, which is where they were when we started, right? Of course, because you got the first one right. And you get Carol Burnett famously sued the National Enquirer for this and eventually won. And you got libel, correct. Were you getting in via the wordplay angle or like by being a musical theater person or like? Oh, no. I mean, 
that one seems so that was so easy to me mm-hmm. like yeah. you sue someone for right you sue a newspaper for libel and then oh that starts and ends with l okay we're good yep. yeah <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that seemed really i it's just a bummer that it was so early it's an but. appropriate level of difficulty for the second row i would say yeah uh, yes. Unlike unlike other daily doubles I could mention, <laughs> yeah, nice work. Yeah, no, that was, that was good. Yeah, Kyle, do you have uh, composers you want to talk about? I mean, I could always talk about composers. Uh, if you've if you have the time and the compulsion, compulsion, just the desire, check out Fanny Fanny Mendelssohn. If women had were, were on an equal playing field as men at the time, or really ever, then she would have been as prolific and like influential as her brother Felix and possibly even more so. Hmm. Uh, Fanny Mendelssohn was a fantastic composer and brilliant mind. Unfortunate that, uh, you know, as we're obviously still dealing with, uh, women cannot be just simply allowed to be capable in the eyes of, you know, men and all that. So uh, Fanny Mendelssohn is awesome and should be checked out along with, you know, plenty of other uh, women in music history, Clara Schumann, a variety of others. I'm not going to go off on a tangent about like women in music, but it would be would be useful. I I like that Aaron Rodgers did not want to say all of uh, Mozart's name. Even even Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is long, but his real name is significantly longer. There are more names to it. But I can't mm. believe he would have had all of that on the card, right? He probably well, not his. Both. I can't imagine his whole actual name was there. No, no, no. But he didn't uh, do that. And then uh, and then you got Debussy with I Le did, Mare. which which was my. Own, like one and only payoff from my note cards. That was a note card get. That was a nice. study that I did not know before I studied. And so I was psyched. That was a 200 or 2000, excuse me. Um, yeah. A little bummed I didn't get um, Copeland because he's my favorite composer, but I, I, just, I couldn't get I in on the buzzer. You know, one of those. Yeah. Although I will say uh, Aaron Rodgers pronounced it the ballet rodeo. Yes. <laughs> and in the biz, we do pronounce it rodeo. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere else you would pronounce it rodeo, but that's for the funny ballet. because you know I don't think I'm giving away anything because I think this is probably true for all the guest hosts and even Alex on occasion. But he did a lot of re-recording mm-hmm. his clues mm-hmm. right between games, and um, so that's interesting that they didn't they didn't like no one there thought he should correct that. Well, I mean that one. I don't know. I think that's just a, a convention rather than like a "this is how it's supposed to be" kind of thing. Uh, mm, um, that makes sense. But and it also didn't throw off anybody getting the clue right. I have a an ongoing block about a question that you got in the "what a bunch of characters" category, Amy. The clue uh, was presented by Glenn Close. She said, I rank as number seven on AFI's list of top villains playing Alex Forrest in this 1987 thriller, but I prefer to think of her as a misunderstood woman who is not going to be ignored. And you got that one. That's Fatal Attraction, which Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct seem to like (laughs) share a pigeonhole in my brain. And I cannot remember that they are two separate movies. I did the same exact thing. I was so excited because this was a video, right? Glenn Close talking and as she's playing and I've been behind on the buzzer the whole game, I'm thinking to myself, these 20 something year old guys are not going to know this. I've got (laughs) this one. This one is all me. That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, no, I, yeah, no, I, I know that movie. I know basic as well. 
and and yeah, no, I I certainly have movies like that, but but those yeah, <laughs> I'm old enough to remember that they existed, but uh, but not to have I, I have I have seen Fatal Attraction, but I can never remember whether I've seen Fatal Attraction or Basic Instinct. <laughs> Isn't Basic Instinct Sharon Stone? Is that yeah, Sharon so, Stone, yeah. Michael Douglas. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, this the Glenn Close. You know, the the Fatal Attraction is is often known for the the bunny rabbit, right? Mm-hmm. She boils his bunny rabbit. Yeah, mm. like a like kind of a pop culture reference that's that's associated with it basic instinct is associated with a very different pop culture reference when sharon stone crosses and uncrosses her legs right Mm, right yes Mm -hmm. both equally disturbing in their own way maybe if i see basic instinct then i'll be able to keep them straight I guess we'll find out. It was a good movie. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a good, they both, they're both very good movies. If you like kind of thrillers and psychological mm-hmm. thrillers. Yeah. So Daily Devil on the Three is pick number 10. It's fairly early. It's in the six letter capitals category at the $2,000 level. Uh, Brandon uncovers it. He is at 4,600. Uh, Amy is at 3,500 and Sebastian is at 7,600 and he makes it, no, not, not a true Daily Devil, but he wagers 4,000, which is close enough. Uh, he gets the clue. Roads from this capital lead directly to Kandahar and to Uzbekistan and Pakistan. And he gets it correct with what is Kabul. Yeah, I, I was very jealous. Yeah. But he got to the ring in on that one. I, I definitely would have known that Kandahar. I mean, I wouldn't have known all the specifics, but it would have taken me to that part of the country. And then I would have just gone five letter capitals. And I. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what I thought. I, I was like, you know, I, I got to think any Americans you know, who are adults at this point would hear Kandahar and immediately be like, oh, that's Afghanistan, right? And it's, mm-hmm. which which we should know is Kabul. Even if even if you don't know all of your world capitals, like yes. Americans who have been paying attention have got to know that Kabul is the capital of Afghanistan, right? And even if you don't, and then Pakistan's there, you can use that to kind of back into it, right? What, right. What like, countries near Pakistan that has a five-letter capital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I really felt that just all of these the clues in this category were all of equal level. I didn't think that any yeah. of them were That's more or less yeah. difficult than the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you're right. Because I think, you know, you're equally likely to know the capital of Afghanistan and the capital of Bangladesh, right? They're, they're right. kind of equally. Or honestly, I would think most Americans are more likely to know the capital of Afghanistan Probably. than they are the capital of Bangladesh. Yes, but, 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 but the last clue doesn't tell you Afghanistan. You have to get there with the other stuff. But yeah. Right, true, right. true, true. But. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they would they would the the writers think that they're kind of varying the difficulty based on whether they tell you the name of the country they're looking for or give yeah. you like some some route that you have to get to to identify the country and then get to the capital. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. I, I would I would be remiss if I don't mention my my very big mistake that was bigger than my daily double mistake in in round one. Uh, when I got the two thousand dollar clue in the in the bunch of characters category and had to name Brad Pitt's character in Fight Club, I said Tyler Durgan, and the answer is Tyler Durden. You don't see this on TV, but Aaron actually ruled me correct and then was correctly overruled by the judges. Um, they mm, cut that part out. Yeah, yeah, <sighs> yeah. And it was funny because after you know when we went to the break and and Karina, the contestant coordinator, came over and she said. Oh, the judges thought they heard a G, and I'm like, nope, they absolutely heard a G because I said a G because yeah. I got I just said it wrong. 
Uh, yeah, so rough. Oh, that's and that rough. was rough because it was you know it was four thousand for me plus Brandon got it right, so it was a mm-hmm. big swing. Yep, took me out of sec- you know could have been second place, but right. Yeah. 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 Oof. We will not be talking about Fight Club in our house ever. Again. <laughs> 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 yeah. Good movie. So, at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Brandon is in the lead with 17,800, Sebastian is at 11,200, Amy has 9,900, and we have the final Jeopardy category, Notorious. And the clue, in 1897, she was accused of a much lesser crime, shoplifting in Rhode Island. Amy, you have the correct response uh, with who is Lizzie Borden. Spelling is slightly off, but we're going yes. to accept that because For, it's with an IE instead. It's supposed to yes. be an IE instead of a Y. Yeah. That is to, to me, that's like. Well, that's it was very funny because Aaron, when he read my answer, he said, Lizzie Borden, the spelling's mm-hmm. off, but we're going to give it to you. And so a lot of people were like, he said it almost like she spelled the last name wrong because he said the last name funny, but it was yeah. the first name. Yeah. I had that same thought. I was like, do I not know how it's spelled? Mm-hmm. I thought that was how it's spelled. Yep. Yeah, and you wagered zero, and um, you were saying to us before we started recording that you uh, that was were, a big mistake. Yeah, um, but that you had you had like miss uh, misread or misremembered um, a score when you were calculating your wager. Is that is that right? Yeah. So in the moment, I I have no idea how, but in the moment and every minute after until I saw my live, until the second time I saw my episode, I thought Sebastian had fifteen two. And mm-hmm. so at the moment, I thought, okay, these guys, you know, Brandon has to bet to cover him. If he gets it wrong, it'll take it below my score. So I'm just going to let these two guys battle it out. And mm-hmm. only again on the second watching and saw that Sebastian had 11 and that I really, my only chance was to get it right when they got it wrong, in which case I needed to bet enough to go above, you know, Brandon's wrong score, which he did not need to bet more than like 4,000 something to cover Sebastian. So um, yeah, no, that was a huge mistake. Thank goodness it didn't make any difference in the end, but it was, it would have been devastating if it had. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um, that, and, and that, that can totally happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My brain stopped working apparently in the moment. Yeah. That's rough. But as you said, at, it, as it turned out, it, it didn't matter. People can be really harsh about those wagers. Yeah. <laughs> Did 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 you get did you get a lot of heat on the on the internet or did, did what, I would say people? I got a lot. I had a couple of folks, and you know that's a little bit on me going in these you know Jeopardy subreddit or um, mm-hmm. that you know that that were absolutely people study theory before study wagering before you go on Jeopardy. Don't do what she did and how oh, that was an yeah. idiotic you know idiotic wager. And I did clap back at one particular gentleman. I said, you know, oh, were you on Jeopardy? How'd you do? <laughs> I was kind of like, you know, that's great from your couch. Uh, right. Yep. Um, and in the and the J board, which I'm also on, which which can be oh. a little harsh. Oh, on the J board is brutal. Yeah, but I, they knew I was in the group. And so as I was reading, I, they hadn't said anything. And I actually proactively said, you know, thank you for your tact in not mentioning, you know, what happened and kind of gave my explanation. And so I kind of, I addressed it head on before they could really say anything. And they were very nice. Well, good. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, we, we talk about sort of ideal wagers on here. But um, I think we, we both know, like, it just gets, 
it gets a little frantic up there. And it's very easy to know exactly what to do when you're on your couch and uh, yeah. harder to know what to do when you're up there. Um, yeah. yeah. Sebastian has also responded, who is Lizzie Borden? He's wagered everything but a dollar, which I guess makes sense, given that Brandon's cover bet Brandon misses will still leave him above where Sebastian is. But he comes up to 22,399. And Brandon has the correct response as well with who is Lizzie Borden and a cover bet of 4601. It's easy to get the wager right when you're in first place. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so with 22,401, he is our champion going into Thursday. Yep. Aaron Rodgers could not believe we all knew the answer to that question. He was, really? huh. he was really funny. He was like, how, where did you learn that? Like, why do you know that? <laughs> he, was, he just, you know, not other questions. What, he wasn't, but that one, he just never heard of her. And he's like, does everyone learn about that in school? Like, I don't understand. No, he, I, yeah, it's just like a nursery rhyme kind a, of thing. Yeah, right? yeah. So I learned it from checking out like a book of like spooky trivia from the library that I think alarmed my mother a little bit. Um <laughs> <laughs> like where, where did you all pick it three up? And I couldn't read yet, but I picked that one. Uh, no, no, I could, I could definitely read. I <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. That one for me, like when I saw Notorious while we were wagering, like I was, you know, as you do, I was thinking of answers that could fit into that category, and she was like one of three I came up with. So as soon as I saw the clue, it was like, oh, I started writing like immediately. I was like, oh, it's this one. How many notorious women in New England in? Uh, 1897. Yeah, definitely. So on Thursday, we have the contestants Abby Copeland, a professor and scenic designer from North Haven, Connecticut. Pasquale Palumbo, a financial services professional from Hawthorne, New York. And Brandon Deutsch, a student from Long Beach, California, whose three days winnings are now up to $70,026. And the Jeopardy round categories are top of the bill, a noun and also a verb, places in Texas, the Ivy League, Heavy metal and guitars and drums. And I guess you wouldn't have been in the studio no, anymore at this point. Oh, you I, were? I okay. Stuck around. I didn't see. I, nice. I didn't. I had to leave before the Friday taping, but I, I saw the Thursday. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought I thought you said that you were there for all of them, and then I was remembering. I guess they they can be doing things differently now. Um, when when Kyle and I taped after the Wednesday taping was the lunch break. And if you you couldn't come back after like the lunch break was kind of the the point where everyone left and you could only come back if you were like in the new audience for a reason. You know, you couldn't mm. you couldn't stick around beyond that point if you had lost your game and just wanted to see what happened next. Mm. Yeah, no, they let us stick around. We actually had lunch yeah, after nice. the Tuesday game. Mm-hmm. I think the guest hosts take a little longer. So it was a little later in the day. Yeah, and, that uh, makes sense. Yeah, no, they let us stay. I, I ended up having to leave before the Friday game because I, I switched my flight so I could go home that night. There was a snowstorm coming, um, but uh, I didn't stick around for this one. We had a couple of couple of interesting misses in the top of the bill category. The $200 clue was Saving Private Ryan, 1998. This actor, not Private Ryan. Mm. Uh, Pasquale rang in and just like off the cuff said, who is Tom Cruise? Oh, wait, no, I mean, uh, uh. And, but he'd already been ruled incorrect, and Brandon picked it up with who is Tom Hanks, because obviously he knew it was Tom Hanks, and just said, you know, his brain went on autopilot there. Yep. 
The $400 Clue, The Godfather Part 2, 1974. This actor, who could have been nicknamed Fredo himself. Uh, Pasquale guessed who is John Casale? Um, I think that's the actor that maybe played Fredo? Yeah, probably. So which, just, yeah. Which, which is impressive that he got that. To me, like, like that's, a, that's really cool. They were going for the obvious answer of Al Pacino. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pasquale's like an Italian from New York. So. <laughs> yeah, so he, he's like, these are my people. Uh, and the $800 clue, The Princess Bride 1987, this leading man whose name was not Inigo Montoya. I, I feel like that clue was purposely misleading. It was a random. little tricky. I love Princess Bride more than anything. And I just, the way it was worded, it was a little awkward yeah because the yeah. fact that it pointed to inigo montoya brandon guessed who's mandy patinkin and that's incorrect pasquale got it with carrie elwis who was the leading man but the fact that they like yeah pointed to inigo montoya i was like oh did mandy patinkin get top billing <laughs> yeah like because mandy so Patinkin's name is not actually and i mean in in the movie his name his character is named inigo montoya yeah, but, but that's not it, his name. It seems like a, a cutesy tongue-in-cheek of way, way of saying, name the actor who played. Yeah, you could make an argument, right? You could you mm. could say, well, his name's not Inigo Montoya, it's Manny Patinkin. So that's yeah. Right. yeah. But yeah, if, if Carrie Elwes clearly got top billing for top The Princess billing, Bride, I guess yeah. that's that's the thing. Yeah. Because his name also is not Inigo Montoya. <laughs> right. Most of our names are not. It would have been better who did not play Inigo Montoya or something like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was a weird clue. Of course, I swept the Ivy League category. Um, we've talked about whether the whiff and poofs are a thing that people know. We have talked about the whiff and poofs. I knew that because of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Abby guessed Harvard, Harvard uh, as the uh, school where the collegiate singing group the whiff and poofs are that's not correct uh they're at yale i think all of the ivy leagues have a number of acapella groups sure. probably most colleges do and I'm abby guessing. lives in, in north haven connecticut yeah. so that was probably um, rough for her that she oh yeah um brandon got the rebound on that uh, as a harvard alum i don't know if they're still doing this but it was the custom when I was there that during like freshman orientation week, they would always show the movie that the thousand dollar clue references like on a big screen in in one of the auditoriums. Mm -hmm. Uh, The clue was Harvard banned filming of Hollywood movies. After this, Ryan O'Neill, Ali McGraw tearjerker ruined trees with fake snow. I did not know the fake snow tidbit. That is love story. And I think they showed it for the freshmen because it's kind of the, the Hollywood film that's set at Harvard. Um, mm. I do not like that movie. Yeah, not a fan. Uh, yeah, I'm not a big fan either. I know it's yeah. very popular, but I I just didn't love it. Yeah. Uh. Yes, same. Yeah, they they show it. They actually, uh, they they show it, and the um like the upperclassmen who like run freshman orientation have like a like a like a heckling section in the back. Um, <laughs> so it's it's a tongue in cheek screening, but anyway. Daily Double number one comes up in Places in Texas at the $600 level. Brandon finds it. It's the 11th pick. He wagers $3,000 of his $3,200. Pasquale has $2,600 at this point, and Abby has zero. 
And he gets the clue brought from across the pond in 1959. A piece of this rock can be found on display in the town of Shamrock, Texas. He gets that one correct with the Blarney Stone. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Pasquale has the lead with 8,800. Brandon's at 5,800. Abby has 3,600. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Women on stamps. It happened in Europe. Books by the number. Constitutional checkup. Funny TV songs. And wipe out. Which turned out to be a wordplay category where it was pairs of words, one of which had out in it and the other was the same except for the out was removed it was wiped out mm-hmm. Pasquale had a really good beginning to this round he, yeah, he, he was, just crushed he really was he, he really mm-hmm. was just he, and he was beating Brandon on the buzzer and he just was really an Abby yeah, it was, he was, he, they were tough. I, he, I, I have to say, like, he, he came in, I was I was hanging out with him, and he's this laid back, you know, really nice guy. And I was like, whoa, he's, he's a tiger. <laughs> he's tough. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I was surprised um, no one got in the women on stamps category. There was a triple stopper in the $2,000 where we had to name the first African-American soloist to sing with the Metropolitan Opera. This contralto was honored on a stamp, and they showed a picture and nobody got that it was Marian Anderson. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a shame. <laughs> just felt yeah. like, oh, more people should know who she is, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I had that same thought. But maybe they thought it and weren't sure and didn't want to risk 2000. Sure, of and course, like, of yeah, course. I don't know. Oh, we got a, yet another uh, mention of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. The Jeopardy writers love hmm. it, it, It's Always Sunny. Yeah. It seems like every time there's a TV category, they they bring it up. Mm-hmm. The $1,600 clue was that one. <laughs> An elaborate scheme for Charlie to propose marriage. Singing in a rock opera. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, that show. Daily Double number two is in the It Happened in Europe category. At the $1,600 level, it's pick number 17, and Brandon finds it. He is at 5400 Pasquale is up at 18000 And Abby's at 5200 And, uh... Brandon wagers 5,000. He gets the clue. In 2010, Greece, in exchange for financial help, agreed to these measures, whose name means harshness. And he gets it correct with what are austerity measures. Mm-hmm. I think he got every Daily Double right. That he found? Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that is the that's the key to winning. Yeah. Like, be, be fast on the buzzer, yeah, but when you get a Daily Double, like, you got to make it work for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Daily Double number three is the 27th pick. It's at the $1,600 level of books by the number. And uh, Pasquale finds this one, and he wagers 5000 of his 18800 Brandon has 13200 Abby's at 10800 And he gets the clue. In an 1844 Alexandre Dumas novel, this member of the title trio is alphabetically last. He tries who is uh, D'Artagnan. That is usually the only musketeer I can remember. Um, (laughs) The the other two are Athos and Porthos. Artemis. Artemis, Arthas, and Porthos. There's four, though, right? There's three. Four. There's four, right? The three, the the other two. Yeah. Um, Yeah, D'Artagnan doesn't actually count as one of the three. Yeah. Yeah. It's a misleading title. Uh, (laughs) 
Um, anyway, uh, so he, yeah, he tries who is D'Artagnan. That's not correct. And uh, the correct response here is Porthos. So he drops down some. Uh, and that's really close to the end of the round. So at the end of Double Jeopardy, Brandon is at 13,200. Pasquale is at 14,200. And Abby's at 10,800. Really good scores mm-hmm. all around. Yeah. You know, if if Pasquale had gotten that Daily Double correct, it would be a very different picture. But uh, it's pretty close. Uh, they get the final Jeopardy category, South America, and the clue, two of the three national capitals on the continent whose metro areas have more than 10 million people. And to me, this is like, this is a lot of writing for a uh, final Jeopardy. But it ended up being a triple stumper, par- like partially. Abby wrote, what are Buenos Aires and Montevideo? And she wagered 10,500. Buenos Aires is correct. Montevideo is not correct. So she drops down to $300. Brandon wrote, what are Buenos Aires and Santiago? Which, again, Buenos Aires is correct, but Santiago is not. He wagered 13198 so he drops down to third place with only $2. And Pasquale wrote, what are Rio, crossed off Rio, and wrote, what are Buenos Aires and Sao Paulo? Which, again, Sao Paulo is incorrect. And, so he, and he wagered 7401 So he dropped down to 6799 which was enough to be the champion. The cities that were correct are Buenos Aires, Bogota, and Lima. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that was a tough one. I would have gone with uh, Buenos Aires, and and I, I think you know I probably would have gone to Brazil too. I mean, Brazilia is the capital of Brazil, and yeah. I probably would have said that because I don't know any better. But mm-hmm. I was I was I was definitely thinking of Bogota, and Colombia. I know it's a populous country, but mm-hmm. that was tough. But my my buddy Sebastiano was next to me in the in the audience was. <laughs> From, you know, family from Peru. He knew. He knew it cold. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Brazil is the mislead there because people think, oh, Brazil is very, very populous. It has these very populous cities. But, like, the the capital itself is not. The capital used to be Rio, right? Mm -hmm. But became Brasilia not too... I mean, I guess at this point, a number of decades ago. But really not that long ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Brasilia is not as populous as Rio or Sao Paulo. Both of which have well more than 10 million people. Those are huge cities. So yeah, so Pasquale is a champion going on Friday. So on Friday, April 9th, we have the contestants Dennis Chase, a biotech project manager originally from Hyannis, Massachusetts. Jennifer Leong Evans, a stay-at-home mom from Camas, Washington. And Pasquale Palumbo, a financial services professional from Hawthorne, New York, whose one-day cash winnings total 6799 And the Jeopardy round categories were literary first lines, going places with G-O in quotation marks, car culture, flag <laughs> puri. Another puri. <laughs> We've got another puri category here. Uh, connecting with conjunctions and action figures they, they ranged across a bunch of different kind of fields with action figures mm-hmm. we had to name the uh the star of the office who is playing jack ryan on the amazon series that's john krasinski but then mm-hmm. but then like a music clue a video games clue um so yes and i i was i was very dismayed that I, the one thousand dollar Clue was a triple stumper, and the answer was Scott Pilgrim, which is one of our favorite movies in this house. <laughs> so, mm. and my yeah, my son's read the comic too. I haven't read the comic, but um, I was I was 
my, my son was yelling at the television. <laughs> I didn't understand yeah. why they didn't know that one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I could see it missing this sure. particular group of people. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I had a similar thought. I, I also thought it was really fun to hear Aaron Rodgers say sex bomb. I have to say I was a little surprised <laughs> Jeopardy put that in the clue. <laughs> yeah. Oh, who knows? Oh. Yeah, and, and Dennis had a echoed my Tyler Durden moment by saying John Kaczynski instead of Krasinski, so I definitely fell mm-hmm. for him. That's right. <laughs> yes, that, that's, yeah. Although it, that clue threw me off because it started with fact, this office star, and I was like, oh, it's Rain Wilson. I don't need to read the rest of the clue. <laughs> yes, same. <laughs> so I was like, they're talking about Dwight if they're, if they're phrasing it that way. Mm-hmm. That's funny, it really, yeah. it yeah. really confused me a bit when it was like, as Amazon's Jack Ryan, I was like, I don't think Rain Wilson has an Amazon. Oh, it's John Krasinski. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, There was a hilarious miss at the $400 level of literary first lines. Uh, You were supposed to name the work uh, from which this first line comes. All children, except one, grow up. Oh, no. (laughs) And Pasquale Ragan with What is Little Women? (laughs) Which is hilarious because three of them grow up and one dies. That's true. So it's true. <laughs> He's not wrong. <laughs> He's not wrong, but that's what happens in Little Women. Um, Poor Beth. But that's the yeah, that's that's the first line of Peter Pan. Yes, moment moment for Beth. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so Dennis got the rebound on that. They were looking for Peter Pan. Yep. We get the first daily double in the going places category. Uh, it's at the $1,000 level. Pick number 22. Jennifer uncovers it. She is at 2400 Pasquale is at 4200 and Dennis is at 4400 And she makes it a true daily double, as well you should. And she gets the clue. The Zona Colonial of this city on Hispaniola contains some of the oldest New World structures built by Europeans. And I believe she was going through her capitals. Yeah, I think so too. And Just trying to... to recall the capital of the Spanish-speaking country on Hispaniola. Uh, but she wasn't able to get there. It is Santo Domingo. Yes, that was exactly. She's probably first going, okay, what countries are on Hispaniola? Okay, Haiti. Okay, nope, that's French. That's not going to work. <laughs> I can see, like, the wheels turning in her head. Mm-hmm. But you had to, you know, you had to go from one. And it's funny, when I was watching it, and I'm sure this happens to the players, too, I, I forgot the category, too, so I wasn't even thinking about the go in the category. Yeah, I don't think yeah. the go would have helped a lot with Santo Domingo. No, right? not unless she got there first, just to confirm. Yeah, Yeah. No, agreed. Although, for now looking at it, all of these places, the go was at the end. I mean, technically, Glasgow has a W on it, but... Yeah, that's true. Hmm. And Santiago was one of the other ones. Yeah, that's true. So maybe, yeah, I guess I guess there was a little more pointing that way. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Pasquale is at 5,400. Jennifer has gotten back to 1,000, and Dennis is at 5,000. And the double Jeopardy round categories are historic people, mythological trios, acids, musical godfathers... We urge your response, urge in quotation marks, and still figures. So I, I had, does anyone else feel like the $2,000 clue in his mythological trios? It's really hard to ask someone to name three answers in a Jeopardy question. 
we we have stated yeah on the, on this podcast that requiring people to come up with more like multiple part responses is a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Um. So I yeah I agree with you there. I will say I I have like personal connection with like people who are Hindu. So that that seemed a little easy to me for two thousand because they're the like the the primary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the three the three main ones. I feel like I wouldn't have balked for them asking for like the three persons of the Christian Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so like if I feel that we should, you know, like that we should decenter Christianity in the trivia canon, which I do, um, then knowing kind of the not that it's an exact parallel, but like the the three kind of major mm-hmm gods of hinduism mm. feels fair to ask for yeah i think i think putting it at the two thousand dollar level is appropriate it would i don't think it would okay yeah uh, and i i certainly am familiar with you know those three names as hindu gods but i guess i didn't know like i know krishna like there's other gods i know and i didn't know those three mm-hmm. were the top so i would have definitely not mm-hmm. run it yeah okay. the ganesh the elephant yeah. one yeah. right um that makes sense yeah, yeah. um brahma is the creator vishnu is the preserver and shiva is the destroyer and so basically all other things fall within one of their purviews. Hmm. Well, and the one before that was a triple semper too. And that, that one I did, I did know the Egyptian gods. Oh um, yeah. Horus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually we, we talked a lot about Horus last week. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. In her deep dive. That's right. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Sometime in my trivia stuff i picked up that um formic and formica have uh have to do with ants mm-hmm. and that is the only way that i could have that would have known the uh the two thousand dollar level of acids uh this irritant acid is in the venom of ants and also in the stings of nettles uh which i think if i hadn't learned that i would have been like how would you even know that but um if you've ever heard of formic acid formic because ants have it mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. yeah no i didn't know that one Honestly, I think I learned it from D and D because they, sure. they used to have an ant people race called the Formians. <laughs> oh, there you go! And, and all kind of came together. We find daily double number two in that acids category at the twelve hundred dollar level as the eighteenth pick. So they're coming out a little late in this round. Uh, Dennis finds it. He has sixteen thousand six hundred to Pasquale's nine thousand and Jennifer's six hundred, and he wagers. 3,500, which, if he gets it correct, will take him into what would be a lock position if we ended the round right there, although there's still plenty of clues left on the board. Uh, He gets the clue. Feel the burn. This acid is produced by our bodies during strenuous exercise. And he knows that one. It is lactic acid. Mm -hmm. I I knew that one, too. I know that the lactic acid. That's that pain that you get when you're working out really hard. That's what that is. So he he moves up over twenty thousand. Mm-hmm. That takes him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He had a, he had a crazy good double jeopardy. I mean, it was pretty even between him and Pasquale coming out of the first round. But man, he just he took off. Yeah, just took double jeopardy by storm. <laughs> yep. I was not surprised. Dennis was super super strong in our just in our practice games. Mm-hmm. He was like all over that buzzer and knew every question. He was, he was, I definitely was, uh, couldn't wait to see his game because I missed it the day of, um, and he, he did not disappoint. He was very good. Yeah. Daily double number three is in the historic people category. It's pick number 28. So it is very near the end of the round and Dennis finds it. It's at the $1,200 level. 
he is up to 21,700. Pasquale is at 12,200, and Jennifer is at 2,200. So Pasquale is still within striking distance, and uh, Dennis wagers 3,000. He gets the clue Florence Nightingale pioneered modern nursing while tending to wounded soldiers during this 19th century war. He gets correct with what is the Crimean War? Yeah, he got a little, it was cute. He got a little like, I felt like he got a little smile on his face as he was like, he clearly knew it as he's reading it. He's like, ah, I got this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that felt, I mean, I guess it was higher up. That one felt, I don't know. I don't know why. I I just feel like that one, maybe it's just to me. My mother's a nurse, so she's, she loves learning now, but that I've always known that that's like been locked away for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It felt, it felt pretty accessible. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Dennis is in a lock position with 26,700. Um, Pasquale is at 12,200. Jennifer has 3,800. And we have the final jeopardy category, American literature. And the clue, one edition of this 1930s novella shows a farm within the silhouette of a rabbit. Jennifer has guessed what is Animal Farm. You can sort of see the logic of that, but it is not correct. Uh, she has wagered zero dollars, though, so it does not matter. So Pasquale has the correct response with what is of mice and men. Um, so rabbits are prominent in that novella. Uh, he's wagered 4,000, which uh, would keep him from dropping below Jennifer, even if she went all in and got it right. Um, and he got it wrong, he would still finish in second. So that's that's the, the rationale, I assume, behind that wager. And then uh, Dennis has written what is Animal Farm. He has Harvey crossed out, uh, which fits the rabbit theme. Um, neither of those is correct, of course, but it doesn't matter because he was in a lock position uh, with an $800 wager, uh, so not risking his lock. And he is the champion with 25900 and we'll see him again on Monday. Yes, indeed. That was a very impressive game. It was, yeah. Very was impressive, very yes. I, I did also, not get the final Jeopardy either. I should have, but I didn't. Oh, yeah, no, I went to uh, I went to Watership Down because <gasps> I've too. never read it. I didn't want to admit <laughs> that because it came out so much later than 1930s. Did it? I, it did. I think it came out in, in 1972. So. Sure. But that's where I went to because I, okay. I knew it was an animal farm because that's pigs, not rabbits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only other rabbit book i can think of right so exactly yeah no I, I yeah i knew like animal farm came to mind because they said farm but i was like there's no way animal first off they wouldn't say farm in the clue and have the answer be animal True. farm True. and second rabbits mm-hmm. have nothing to do with it yeah it's pigs yeah and so my only other thing that's what i thought i was like okay what's a rabbit book watership yeah. down i know nothing about it except it's about rabbits so sure. same here but i do know of mice and men so as soon as i saw that i was like oh why did i think of that when it showed it, it was like, oh, yeah, that. Yeah. I haven't read that since I was a, what, freshman in high school? Yeah. I don't know. So this is, our, this is the end of the week. This is our time to uh, remind you listeners that we have a Patreon if you want to uh, throw some money at us. We are willing to have it thrown at us. Uh, we've got some content there that you can check out. Uh, a lot of it is fairly old. We've got our GOAT tournament recaps and... Uh, some other some other things up there and outtakes real and such and um, if you want to support us financially you can do that of course even if you don't that is a okay we still love ratings and reviews that helps us out too 
So if you write us a, a sparkling review that paints us in a really good light, we'd be happy to read it on the podcast and give you a shout out. You know, of course, we want to remind you to continue doing good things and supporting good things in your community. Uh, we point you to blacklivesmatter.com and communityjusticeexchange.org. Yes, absolutely. So Amy has a deep dive for us today and a quiz. I'm very excited about this. Amy, tell us about uh, what you're what you're talking about today. Well, I decided since uh, I myself got a daily double wrong this week that I would focus in on, on that. Um, so I'm doing a deep dive on, on the producers. All right. Awesome. And as you may know or not, uh, the producers is kind of unique in that it started as a non-musical movie. Uh, and then was um, made into a Broadway musical. And then it was made into a musical movie. Mm. So it's sort of unique in its arc. Uh, not not completely unique, but but that's fairly rare. So yeah, I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to talk a little bit about, about how the movie, the original movie came to be. So The Producers was originally, like I said, a non-musical movie released in 1967 written and directed by Mel Brooks and it was his first movie he had had uh, a successful television comedy writing career uh, he was a tv writer for quite a bit of time before that you know through the 50s and 60s but this was his first movie so we had some connections but uh, we'll talk a little bit about it, it was a bit of a controversial movie at the time and so he had he had some challenges in trying to get it uh, made and then trying to get it released. Um, but first, let's talk about uh, a little bit about the plot. What, what is this movie about? So um, it follows, the story follows an unsuccessful Broadway musical producer named Max Bialystok, who's played by Zero Mostel in the original movie, and his accountant, Leo Bloom, who was played by a young Gene Wilder, who was pretty, pretty new on the scene. He'd done some stage work, but he was very you know, he hadn't quite hit yet. And in fact, it's a great anecdote of uh, when they were doing a table read for the movie, he said he had to go because he had a dentist appointment that he couldn't miss when actually he was picking up a $55 unemployment check, which he desperately needed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that shows you kind of where he was in his career, right? It was, it was very early. He had done a stage play with um, Mel Brooks' wife, the great Anne Bancroft, and that's how, that's how Brooks knew him and cast oh. him in this role. Yeah. So in the movie, Leo, the accountant, comes up with this idea, just just kind of thinking out loud as he was doing the books for Max, that a producer could raise a bunch of money from investors for a new Broadway production, in fact, could get overinvestment, could kind of sell more investment than there is, and then intentionally flop the production and keep the money because no one, no investors are going to go looking for their money back on a failed production. Mm-hmm. Again, Leo's kind of this timid guy, you know, has always been, a, you know, straight, straight and narrow. And so he's just sort of thinking out loud. But Max decides this is a great idea. And he convinces the reluctant Leo to join him in this in the scam. So they get investments primarily by um, seducing elderly women. <laughs> they romance these elderly women. Um, and they end up getting 25,000% of the cost of this production. <laughs> Uh, with all of these old ladies who don't know that that the others have have invested, um, and then they set out to make the worst possible Broadway musical they can. So they kind of screen through scripts and they find a a show called Springtime for Hitler, 
that was written completely unironically by an actual Nazi living in New York named Franz. Um, so he, Hitler's his hero, and he has written this, this joyful romp about Hitler. <laughs> um, and Max and Leo convince him that they're going to, to do this, uh, this show justice, of course, all the while thinking this is going to be a disaster. That's what they're hoping for. They hire a director named Roger, who, who they say in, in the movie, his plays are said to, quote, close on the first day of rehearsal. That's how bad he is. <laughs> and then they cast as Hitler a sort of incoherent flower power hippie that wanders in by accident into the casting and is known uh, by the nickname LSD <laughs> to play Hitler. Um, so again, all, all of the, the pieces are in place to make this, this just horrifying show. And in fact, on opening night, when the play opens, it opens with a lavish production number of the title song, Springtime for Hitler. And the audience is like dismayed. They're, they're very upset. They start to kind of gather their stuff and walk out of the theater en masse. And then LSD kind of stumbles out as Hitler and just starts delivering these like crazy lines that make no sense. And the audience decides this is a, a comical satire and it's hysterically funny. And of course, it be. <laughs> and, you know, this, the show kind of the movie kind of rounds out with Franz, the Nazi, being very upset about what happened. And uh, he threatens Max and Leo with a gun, but he doesn't have any bullets. And they decide they're going to blow up the theater to stop. All three of them are going to blow up the theater to stop the show. And, and they're arrested, tried and found, quote, incredibly guilty and sent to prison where they produce a show with the inmates um, called Prisoners of Love. <laughs> which is a disaster because they tried to make it good. So it ends up being terrible in the movie, in the original movie anyway. So as I said, <laughs> this was pretty controversial. This was, if you think about it, this movie came out in 1967. So it was only 20 some odd years after the end of World War II. It was seen as quite controversial, especially because Mel Brooks had originally called it Springtime for Hitler. That was his name for it. Um, <laughs> so that's what he was kind of going around and pitching to people <laughs> in 1967 before that, actually. Now, Mel Brooks talked about how he conceived the idea for this uh, as part for him as vengeance through comedy. He felt the best way to bring down dictators and totalitarians was to ridicule and laugh at them. And he talked about it being payback for his experiences of anti-Semitism and his time fighting the Nazis in World War II. Uh, interestingly, Mel Brooks was in the Battle of the Bulge. He also was uh, defused landmines in Europe in World War II as a young soldier who was drafted. When the movie was released, uh, Mel Brooks talked about how he got many letters from rabbis who were very upset about the movie. They, they didn't understand, you know, that it was a, what it was trying to do. And he took that very, very seriously. He actually hand wrote every rabbi that wrote to him back explaining what he was trying to do in making the movie. Um, hmm. Of course, when he was pitching this, he was told he really he needed to change the name, which he did to the producers to even have a chance at, at getting it distributed. And in fact, its premiere, which happened in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, was a disaster. Um, people did not like it. And the studio was really considering shelving it and not doing a wide release. Hmm. In fact, Peter Sellers, the actor Peter Sellers, you probably know from you know Pink Panther and, and Dr. Strangelove, he... Mel Brooks had originally um, tried to convince him to play the role of, of Leo. And according to Mel Brooks, he did. Peter Sellers agreed to and then never showed up and he never heard from him again. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true or not, or that was Mel Brooks Whoa. telling stories. But 
Peter Sellers got a private screening of the movie. He used to do private screenings for friends and he loved it. And he actually took out an ad in Variety pushing for it to be released widely hmm. uh, as well as making phone calls to different producers to, to try to get it released, which he did, or he, he helped influence its release anyway. After its release widely, it got, it got mixed reviews at the time. So it was really kind of two camps. Some really did think it was just very off color and offensive and others thought it was very, very clever and very funny. Uh, obviously over time, um, you know, that perception, it, it's seen as one of the funniest movies uh, in fact, it's on, I think it's number 11 on AFI's list of 100 years, 100 laughs. It ended up being a sleeper hit at the box office, and Mel Brooks ended up winning the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay that year. <laughs> so obviously very successful. A couple other just fun trivia bits about the movie. Um, some of these are stories from Mel Brooks, so you have to take it with a grain of salt, because I don't you know, always believe he's being completely accurate when he's talking about things. First is that this was the first movie, obviously, he's ever directed, and he said he was so nervous that on day one, he says he started out by shouting cut instead of action. <laughs> because he was just so terrified. He didn't know what he was doing. Um, there's also some stories about trouble on set. He would get really frustrated because he didn't know how things work so, through tantrums. He also butted heads a lot with Zero Mostel, who apparently was also very difficult on set. Um, but he did manage mm-hmm. to finish the film within his million dollar budget. Also, and Kyle, I know you're a musician, so you might appreciate this. There were two, even though it wasn't a musical movie, um, there were two songs in the movie, Springtime for Hitler and Prisoners of Love, which Mel Brooks wrote. Mel Brooks could not read music, read sheet music. So mm. he would hum songs into a tape recorder and have them transcribed by <sighs> someone who did. <laughs> and in fact, That's awesome. 30 years later, he used the exact same method when he was working on the Broadway musical of the producers, which obviously had many more songs. Yeah. So he never learned to read to read music. Wow. Another fun story is that Mel Brooks had originally cast uh, a young Dustin Hoffman as Franz. And <laughs> according to Brooks, Hoffman came to him the night before shooting and begged to be let out of the commitment so that he could audition for a new Mike Nichols movie called The Graduate. Uh. And of course, Brooks knew about this movie because his wife, Anne Bancroft, starred in The Graduate, right? He, he was familiar with it. And mm. he decided Hoffman would never get the part. He just was not right for it. So he said, yeah, go ahead, try out. <laughs> See what happens. <sighs> Obviously, the rest is history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really and my, my very favorite piece of trivia is that somehow when this movie was released in Sweden, the movie kept the name Springtime for Hitler in Swedish, of course, but it kept the name. And it ended up being so popular that most subsequent Mel Brooks movies in Sweden were released with the same naming convention. So Blazing Saddles in Sweden is springtime for the sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> history of the World Part 1 is springtime for world history. <laughs> Spaceball is springtime for space. <laughs> I love that. Amazing. I really thought that was so great. Oh <laughs> so that's sort of like a code for it's a Mel Brooks movie, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I, that is so bizarre. Really funny. Yeah. Springtime for space. Springtime for space. The springtime for Frankenstein. <laughs> Frankenstein, is springtime for Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. As I mentioned earlier, this became a Broadway musical in the 1990s. David Geffen convinced Mel Brooks to adapt the movie into a stage musical. 
So Brooks hired, actually hired Mike Ockrent to direct and his wife, Susan Stroman, to be the choreographer. But when Ockrent passed away in 1999, he convinced Stroman to be both director and the choreographer. Um, and the Broadway musical opened in 2001, famously starring Nathan Lane as Max and Matthew Broderick as Leo. It ran for 2,500 plus performances, which is a lot in Broadway right, terms. Yeah. That, that means very successful. Mm -hmm. And it still has the record for the most Tony Awards ever won for a Broadway musical at 12. Wow. wow. Which surprised me because I know Hamilton, you know, I love Hamilton and Hamilton did very, very well at the Tonys, but Hamilton only got 11. So it didn't quite beat that record of 12. Except by the only producer. 11 Tonys. Only 11. Hamilton did get more nominations. Mm -hmm. It had 16 versus the producer's 15. And with the, the those Tonys after the uh, producers, Mel Brooks earned the EGOT, which if you're not familiar, means that he has an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. He actually already had three Grammys, four Emmys, and of course the Oscar for screenplay for the producers. So 33 <laughs> years later, he got the, uh, the Tony. And then in 2005, uh, the Broadway musical was made into a musical movie, again, starring Lane and Broderick in, their, in the roles they originated on Broadway. Uh, and then some substitutions, including Will Ferrell, who played Franz in the movie. Mm -hmm. The second mm -hmm. movie was not as much of a success as the original movie um, and the or the Broadway production. Uh, it only made $38 million out of $45 million budget, so that wasn't great. Oh. Yeah. It has mixed reviews. I mean, it has like a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, a 53 on Metacritic, so it's not like, Interesting. you know, panned, but it's sort of mixed reviews. And it was nominated for four Golden Globes, so I have to say that because, um, although I will say that sometimes the Golden Globes especially in the musical and comedy category, nominate some strange mm. picks. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, but yeah, so that is the producers. I know way more. So if you have any questions, I read everything there was about everything. Oh, that was fabulous. Yeah, Thank really you. I, I mean, I've always enjoyed the producers. I'm a big, I am a Mel Brooks fan for sure. Raised on, on those movies, but uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of good, good stuff to know. Yes, it really interesting. I mean, I love Mel Brooks as well, although not universally. My, my, you know, I, I love Young Frankenstein. I love History of the World, Spaceballs, mm -hmm. but some of them I'm not like everyone loves Blazing Saddles. That's not my favorite. Oh, I like Blazing Saddles. I know that's my husband's favorite. <laughs> he like loves it so much. Um, the and the producer is interesting. I it's not my favorite, but I'm a huge Gene Wilder fan, and I found Gene Wilder just like the scene where he just goes crazy is like just comedic genius to me. He does such Very a good job. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Lane and Broderick were phenomenal. Um, as I mentioned the other day, I, I did see them on Broadway, even though I got that question wrong. Um, <laughs> and especially Nathan Lane, there's a scene in the second act where he is on, they're on trial and he sort of, it's a pretty famous scene because he basically does the whole musical again up to that point, like a shortened version of it. Mm -hmm. sings lines and like plays all the characters and it gets a standing ovation. It was really phenomenal. I should say the musical also had a much happier ending where their prisoners of love musical at the prison is so great that the governor pardons them and they become successful producers. <laughs> so much happier ending than the original movie. Right. Hmm. Want to do your quiz? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do the quiz. Right, I told you, I, I, I have no idea what's too hard and what's too easy. So writing trivia questions is harder than people think it it's is. It's so hard. And when you know something, you feel like it's too easy. 
but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily just because you happen to know that thing. Everyone else is going to know that thing. Yes. Um, so a full disclosure, I actually have a couple questions. And then the rest of the questions I have two versions of, depending on how you're doing on the first call. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I, I appreciate someone who really comes prepared. I have an easy version and a hard <laughs> version of my last three yeah, questions. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. So first question. At the end of both the Broadway musical and the musical movie, Leo and Max are sent to Sing Sing Prison on the Hudson River in New York. Interestingly, Sing Sing Prison had a, has a football team, or they had a football team, I don't know if they still do, called the Black Sheep. Now, that's the Sing Sing Prisoner football team, which was sponsored by Tim Mara, the founding owner of what professional sports franchise? Ooh. Okay, I have a guess based on very little. Okay. I also have a guess. I'm going to guess the Rams, which I hope I don't have to remember which city they're in. You don't, because that's not right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I was going to guess the uh, ever-popular New York Jets. Oh, so close. It is, is it in Giants? fact, the New York Giants. Yeah. Ah. Uh, York, and the New York- I should have stayed in New York. I was like, oh, it would be really cute if, like, <laughs> the black sheep sort of. Uh, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. that. Was, I was that, like, oh, I wonder what's going That's what I was thinking. Well, that's why yeah. I picked the Jets. <laughs> See, and I thought because New York, oh. you know, it's in New York. Well, but, that too. Mm-hmm. But. And it's funny because when I thought this question, of course, I thought this question was too easy. And my husband's like, no, that's because you're a Giants fan. You live in New York. <laughs> that's why, because the Maras still own the Giants. Oh yeah, there's no way I knew that. <laughs> and their and their daughters are famous. Rooney Mara and Kate Mara are actresses. Oh, so, it's that those family. Maras. Yeah, it I is that know family. That. So I thought maybe oh, cool. you know, like through various things that you might know. That's good. That's good. Yeah. All good. Oh, that's that's knowable. You got close. Yeah, it's right. knowable. I just didn't happen to know it. All right, number two. Matthew Broderick starred in the producer's Broadway musical and musical movie. Broderick also starred in the movie Glory as Colonel Robert Gould Shaw, commander of one of the first African-American regiments in the Union Army in the Civil War. What was the name of that regiment? And just the numbers. It's really <sighs> awkward. And this has been a Jeopardy question, so I feel like it's not yeah, no, totally it's out of the realm known. of possibility. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I've seen Glory. And I will take, I will take either the number or the state. That they are. Oh, okay. Well, I got that. Then. I will take either one of those. I know the state. I can't. I don't think. I think I have the number, but I don't know for sure. Like the state they were from. Yes. Yeah. Like like they the were, name. They of were the... a regiment from a particular state. Yes. All right. I think the state was Massachusetts. Yeah, I thought. I'm pretty sure it was Massachusetts. Yeah. Kyle, what did you think the number was? I thought it was like the Massachusetts 60th or 64th or something. Oh, so close. 54th. 54th. I, was, I was thinking 54th. Haha! I would have been 54th. right if I'd had to guess the number. I was like 54th or 45th or 55th. I was like, it's some combination of fives and fours. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, do you guys want the hard version or the easy version of my next question? Let's let's try the hard. Just all for right. Yeah, let's kicks. try the hard. And maybe it's not. I mean, again, it's, it all depends on what you know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. The name Leo Bloom character from the producers was taken from the name of the protagonist in James Joyce's James Joyce's 1922 novel Ulysses which itself was a retelling of Homer's The Odyssey 
In the Odyssey, Odysseus is trying to get home to his wife Penelope, while Penelope is desperately trying to put off suitors looking to replace Odysseus. What is one of the strategies Penelope uses to delay those suitors? It's too hard, wasn't it? I've got one. Okay. The easy one was just what was Odysseus's wife's name? Oh <laughs> no! Yeah, Penelope would have been really easy. Um, this is where I I have started the Odyssey at least fifteen times <laughs> in my life, and I have never gotten to the end. Well, this is more in the middle parts of it. Well, okay, I haven't even gotten to the middle. I haven't even gotten <laughs> to like I've got I've gotten like you know a chapter whatever it's broken into. I've gotten very. F- uh, this is um, very top okay. of mind for me because my son just read it in school. So, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say uh, sicking the dogs on him. <laughs> no, that that that's not one. All right, uh, so she um, undoes her weaving every night. Correct. I don't really understand. Well, I yeah. don't remember oh, exactly why yes. she needs she to does. finish the weaving project, but I remember that she undoes it in the night when and she's, works on when it. When she's done, she can get married. Yeah. So so. Yeah. Uh, Odysseus's da- dad, Laertes, Laertes, dies, and she says she has to finish the burial shroud. Oh, it's like a yes. So she weaves right. it during the day, and then she unweaves it at night. That's correct. There's some other, I and mean, that's the main one, really. She also like creates a challenge where they have to shoot an arrow from Odysseus's bow through twelve axes, but that one doesn't really happen because then Odysseus comes in in disguise and he does it. It's sort of like a Robin Hood type situation where he shows mm-hmm. up and he mm-hmm. and he does it himself in disguise, but. That's the main one. Um, all right, so then I'm saying not too hard, and we're going with the hard ones from now on because yeah, it's fine. All right. <laughs> okay. Those sources vary. There are at least nine property stories, including the producers, that first had a non-musical movie, then were adapted into a Broadway musical, and then were adapted into a musical movie. Two of these started with movies by Italian director Federico Fellini. Name one of the Broadway musicals that was based on a Fellini movie. And you can name the, either the musical or the Fellini movie. My mom would know this in a heartbeat. I'm sure she's told me this. She is a huge film buff and she loves Fellini. Okay. Okay. Just what I'm super biased on because I really like Broadway. <laughs> All right. Do you want the easier version of this question? Mm, Probably, I need the yeah. Okay. I think, I think, we're, okay. I think we might be ready for and the I, easier I version. I think this is the easier version. Maybe it's not. But one of the other kind of examples of this, um, not a Fellini movie, just another example of a movie that was then a musical, then was a musical movie, takes place in Baltimore, Maryland. Oh, I know that oh. one. That's Hairspray. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh that's uh, hairspray. Yeah, that hairspray. John Waters, that was, Divine. John Waters. I've seen yeah. the original. Yeah. So the two Fellini movies um, that became Broadway musicals, one was Eight and a Half, which became the Broadway musical Nine. Mm, mm-hmm. I mm. did know that. Oh, now that you say that, I'm like, oh, now yes. we should have stayed with the hard one and just you know. No, I wasn't gonna get there, but yeah. And then the other one is Knights of uh, Cabiria, which actually became Sweet Charity, is the name of the Broadway musical. Uh, it was not. Yeah, I didn't know that. But I did know Eight and a Half and Nine. Yeah, yeah. for fun, the other ones are Wizard of Oz, which became The Wiz, um, and then they made a movie of The Wiz, Phantom of the Opera, Little Shop of Horrors, Cabaret, and Chicago. Okay, Mel Brooks is an EGOT, meaning he has won an Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony. There are currently a total of 16 competitive EGOT winners. I'm going to give you the easy one here. Four of those 16 winners have been women. 
Name name a female EGOT winner. Okay, I I can I got at least one. Oh goodness, do I have one? I think I know one, but I'm not confident that she is. Um, all right, I'm gonna say Barbara Streisand. She is not. She's almost. But- uh, I believe Whoopi Goldberg is one. Whoopi Goldberg is one. And actually, Emily, um, Barbara Streisand is what they call like a she got because she's she's not a competitive EGOT winner. She has a special Oscar or something or spe- not a, whatever. Oh. One of them is like a, a lifetime achievement award versus a competitive. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. you're not like too far off. But I did mm-hmm. ask about competitive. My harder yeah. question was going to be, and this is just interesting information. Uh, in 2018, someone became the first double EGOT, meaning he or she has won each award at least twice. And at 39, this person is also the youngest to achieve EGOT status. John Legend was also 39 when he got an EGOT, but this person was younger at 39. Uh, He was also the fastest to do it at 10 years. This person's road to the EGOT started with a Tony for the Broadway musical Avenue Q. Who is this person? Oh, man. Oh. And a hint is that that he or she is not a performer, not like a singer or an actor. Oh. Is it um, Lopez? Robert Lopez? Yes. Is that the... Nice. Very good. Is that yeah, the writer? Thanks. He wrote, like, he wrote Avenue Q, Brook of Mormon. He wrote, and then he wrote, like, Let It... He wrote all the Disney. He wrote Let It Go for Frozen. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yeah, yeah. Makes sense, yeah. Mm-hmm. Coco. Uh, I think he won for Coco as well. His wife has won a lot, too, because she writes a lot of his music. Right, yeah. They're both listed for, I think, for Frozen, at least. Yeah. All right. Nice. Fun fact that the term EGOT uh, was coined by Miami Vice actor Philip Michael Scott, who set it as a personal goal, even though he has never been nominated for any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> he used to wear an EGOT necklace to like. Oh, <laughs> like is that, is that where Tracy Jordan <laughs> yes. got it for? He was making, Rock? Yes, that was like a satire of what, <laughs> okay. what Philip Michael Scott used to do. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, there's also two PGOTs who have the Pulitzer as well: Marvin Hamlish and Richard Rogers. Oh, Richard Rogers. Yeah, that's an, yeah. I've not got to Hamlish at all. All right. Cool. Your final Jeopardy, or Jeopardy. Your final quiz question category is rock music. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> Let's do this. I'll wager everything, even though I'm not confident in rock music. I don't even know what I have. I'm pretty sure I'm behind Emily pretty well. So No, I be- think you're not. I think you're tied. I think we're, I think we're neck and neck. Okay. I think we're well, tied. Well, I got to bet everything, because if you're tied, you should bet yeah, it all. That's the only strategic the, Exactly. That's the, that's the strategy move. Mm-hmm. Okay. A very successful rock band named their 1991 album after a partially German line spoken by Franz the Nazi in the original producer's movie. Who is the band? Mm-hmm. Very successful rock band. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think. Oh. I'll give you another hint. It is a two word line that Franz says. Hmm. I don't know that I'm going to be able to get to the line or just, the album. I just so need I'm the band. Gonna try and, I just need the yeah, band. Yeah, so I'm going to try and think of a band that seems like a viable guess. All right. Um, I'm going to guess Guns N' Roses. Nope. Yeah. All right. I, I dropped a zero. For some reason, the Rolling Stones is coming to mind, so that's what I'm going to go with. It is not. It is 
U2 and the ba- album was Ah Sung Baby. Ah Sung Baby. Oh. Yep. 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 Yeah, I thought you. I was like, "You two, that's the right time." Oh no! But I, I couldn't remember any titles for you two because I don't listen to you two. So originally, I had I had the translation for Act Tongue in the question, but my husband said it was too easy. That's fine. I mean, I, <laughs> you're you're good. <laughs> Everyone's gonna know that it's attention. Oh my god! Like he knew it like too. He he is a big music fan though, so I probably should have realized that he's fine. <laughs> um. All right. Well, we we are tied at zero, Kyle. Which, Just the way uh, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and, and Amy, this was really fun. This was a great, great quiz, great deep dive, great talking about Jeopardy with you. Um, so thank you so much Absolutely. for being with us. It was super fun to be here. I really had a great time. Uh, and we had a great time as well. Mm-hmm. And hope our listeners had a great time. Thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review or rating if you would be so kind. If you want to check out our Patreon, it's on patreon.com slash potentpotables. And even if that's not of interest to you, we would love for you to let your friends know if they're into Jeopardy and want to, you know, relive it. Listen to Jeopardy guests. Listen to us. uh, (laughs) Bomb out on quizzes. (laughs) (laughs) Bomb on quizzes. And and joke around about clues. Let them know that we're here. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. That's right. Uh, We'll be back with you next week with another week of Jeopardy with Aaron Rodgers. And we have a guest next week as well, Morgan Bryles, who was on a few weeks back. Uh, She's joining us to talk about next next week's episodes. Um, And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm